0: Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon. And in this episode, we have Allison Ferrenschi, who is the co founder and CEO of Camera IQ, the world's first augmented reality platform for camera marketing. They help brands easily create and deploy scalable augmented reality experiences to Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitch. And by the time you're listening, who knows what other platforms there may be out there as well. And this is a company that's raised more than $4 million in venture capital all with non-technical co-founders, something we discuss in this episode, the challenges of fundraising, as well as creating a whole new category. As always, the show notes are just slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hawk Media, a full-service outsourced CMO based in Santa Monica, California, providing guidance, planning, and execution to grow brands of all sizes, industries, and business models, Hawk Media is recognized by Inc. as one of the fastest growing marketing consultancies and their collaborative process a la carte offering and month to month fee structure gave clients the flexibility they need to boost digital revenues and marketing ROI. Hawk Media, the company, has serviced over 1,500 brands of all sizes, ranging from startups like Tomorrow Melon, SIO Beauty, and Bottle Keeper to household names like Red Bull, Verizon Wireless, and Alibaba. And also, I had the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, Eric Huberman, on the podcast in episode number 23, if you want to take a listen. And to get a free consultation, head on over to hawkmedia.com and be sure to mention Just Go Grind. Without further ado, here is Allison Frenchy, co-founder and CEO of Camera IQ. Allison, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yes, great to have you on and talk about Camera IQ. And for people who aren't familiar, for brands who aren't familiar, what is Camera IQ? What are you doing right now with this?
1: Camera IQ is the first camera marketing platform. We are a software platform that makes it easy for brands to create, manage, and measure AR experiences across platforms.
0: With this company, I know it started in 2016 just based on LinkedIn, but how did this get started in the first place, Allison?
1: Oh, such a good question. Um, So best to give a little bit of background on myself. Um, I've been in the AR space for the last seven years, starting when I was in graduate school. Um, I was studying interior architecture and digital interactive art. So AR for me was first and foremost a medium uh, as an artist and designer to try to connect our on and offline worlds. Um, After graduate school, started uh, an AR agency by the, the name of Reify. Um, And in that process, became really familiar with the challenges around um, creating this content, um, publishing this content across platforms. And as more big tech companies have entered the space, so Facebook, Snapchat, uh, Apple, Google, Microsoft, Qualcomm, uh, just about everyone, what's ended up happening is that they've actually all created proprietary formats. And so it's really, you have to essentially create an experience for each platform. Um, Yeah. Uh, (laughs) super convenient for a brand that has to think about scale. Um, And so in running that agency, had started building tools for myself. Um, And when I met my co-founder, Sonia Tao, her background was um, in mobile commerce. So early in the mobile commerce space at a startup called Spring, um, and we both really have a deep passion for how do you help brands be successful um, in new mediums. And so my experience as a creative technologist, building tools for myself um, and Sonia's experience as a you know B2B marketer, helping brands traverse new technologies um, is is really what brought Camera IQ to life.
0: How did you meet Sonia?
1: We were match made through a mentor. Um, Funnily, we had both made our way from New York to Los Angeles, and Sonia um, was doing some consulting with me. Again, my background was as a creative technologist running an agency, not immediately familiar with how to build a software company. Sure. Um, And so uh, Sonia was spending time with me, getting to understand my business, helped me put that business plan together. and. She fell in love with the medium. I fell in love with her <laughs> and, and the, kind of the rest was, um, you know, history and went from there.
0: From there. I mean, how did you decide that you two wanted to work together? You, you said you, said you fell, in love, fell in love with her. Like what was it about her? Cause I'm always curious for other founders out there who are deciding on co-founders trying to figure out who are the right people to work with. You seem to have found a good match. How did you kind of decide that, that Sonia was going to be that person?
1: Um, Great question. And, and you know, I would say, again, lucky that we were introduced and match made, I guess, in in the way that we were, although certainly our, our mentor did not expect us to become co-founders. <laughs> um, I think, you know, in looking for a co-founder, I think there's a few things is making sure you're you're partnering with someone where you have complementary um, skill sets. So while Sonia and I do share some overlapping skill sets. We really are, you know, two sides of the same coin. Um, which, especially when there's two of you trying to build a business, <laughs> it's important to be able to divide and conquer. Um, the other is having trust and making sure that this is someone that you can speak candidly with um, and open and, and honestly. And so, I always think with um, co-founders, it's important to date before you get married. And actually, the thing that made me want Sonia as my co-founder most was, as I mentioned, she was consulting, was helping me uh, figure out what this business would be, you know, what the right business model was for us <laughs> um, and evaluating the market opportunity. Um, Sonia also um, was became pregnant and we I started raising our seed round and I said to her, I was like, I really want you to be my co-founder in this company. So much of this is you now. And, and she looked at me and was like, I'm so flattered. Let me go become a mom and come back to you because I know the responsibility it takes and dedication it takes to be a co-founder. And for me, it was that maturity and understanding of the commitment it would take to be a (laughs) a co-founder was like, Oh my God, this woman,
0: (laughs) (laughs) she gets it. She gets it. To that point you mentioned kind of figuring out what this business was gonna be. I mean, what was the initial business model of camera IQ?
1: So interestingly, you know, we always knew that we were gonna be enterprise um software. Yep. Um and I say that, you know, when we did a market analysis and we looked at what the opportunity was, um, we knew that Facebook and Snapchat were building free tools. Um we knew that there were developer tools um and programs that served um, a more kind of prosumer type audience, like a unity. Um, and we knew that we had to focus on particular users to get the right product into market as quickly as we could. So, and again, our, I think our backgrounds, mine serving brands, Sonya also serving brands. It was very really obvious to us, but that, that was how we as co-founders were best, um, positioned to go to market. Um, so we always knew it would be enterprise and, and a software license. From there it really has been about what was the market willing to bear in terms of price, um, as well as you know not overpricing because people were willing to pay it because we also wanted to make sure we had short sales cycles so that we were getting into market and, and getting the momentum that we needed to be successful early.
0: Going a little bit deeper on that note with the pricing, because that's also a critical part of businesses. A lot of people kind of brush over that. They just look at maybe competitors and say, oh, we'll just take this price. I mean, I'm just curious, like, how you went through that that process of choosing price. And maybe it was just that, but how did you end up deciding on the price you would go with, at least initially?
1: I mean, part of it is, you know, of course, looking at your, you know, cost of goods. So um, making sure we were pricing in a way that we were, you know, would be prop- like, drive a profit. Um, and and then the other piece of it was, um, was, there was a bit of looking at our competitors and what their business models were. So um, for us, it was looking at other MarTech tools. It was looking at creative design tools like Adobe or Figma as well. How were they building their business models? Was it um, per seat? Was it per account? Was it, you know, by campaign? Um, and trying to understand what were those economics there for us. Um, And in that, you know, for instance, like we don't charge per campaign because that's not our business. We want you to be producing content always on. Right. And so why would ever throttle you? Um, And so for us, that was, it was really looking at that. Um, And then as well as understanding for us, one of our biggest competitors, you know, we're in the, the business of category creation, AR is new. Um, camera marketing is a you know new category that we're finding <laughs> there. And right. so, um, for us, looking at agencies, and we knew that agencies were charging anywhere from five thousand to fifty thousand dollars for one AR experience for one platform. Um, and so, we had you know we were like, okay, <laughs> we know that doesn't scale. How to yeah. price in a way that Provides value that will scale, um, and again, for us, it was how do we get to market really quickly, and we wouldn't end up in six-month-long sales cycles.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate that. And, and by the way, didn't mean to knock looking at competitors' prices. Yeah. I think that's a great starting point, mm-hmm. uh, a starting point. But I've seen companies who literally just copy or do like oh five dollars more just because, and don't 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 look into the why.
1: <laughs> I mean, honestly, I wish that <laughs> had competitors to just take pricing from. But you know, in in our position and category creation, we don't have a direct competitor yet. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, you're leading the way in multiple fronts when you are leading as a kind of a, a new category of sorts. It's a whole different thing in terms of everything with the business. Exactly. And one of the things you mentioned as well is raising that seed round and I mm-hmm. uh, had Olivia Owens uh, on from I Fund Women of Color. She also is the head of partnerships, I think it was, at I Fund Women and knowing that women get, I mean, a small, small percentage of venture capital and venture capital itself is mm-hmm. a small percentage of businesses. How was that experience raising capital for you, Allison?
1: Yeah. You know, so we bootstrapped the company initially and we were taking on projects and trying to really fund ourselves into our MVP before we went out and raised capital, Um, which I think is always a good idea. (laughs) You know, you you just maintain control. You have an actual sense of what your product is, what the value is. um, But of course, also has its own downsides and you start to have a certain type of revenue, if you will. And, you know, you have to undo that a little bit, but in terms of fundraising, you know, it was tough. Um, I think now in my background as a creative technologist, so, you know, was not necessarily a software engineer Um, by not necessarily, I mean, I am not a software engineer, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, I build, I would build things as MVPs as, you know, quick installations, not as needed to scale. So I think, um, first was just facing this like, Hey, not only were we two female founders, one of whom was quite pregnant. Um, but the, the other piece of it was they did not look at us and go, Oh, you're technical female founders. Right. It was, yeah. So, um, it was challenging. I mean, I had folks that said, is tech in your DNA? And I'm like, would you say that to your daughter? It was really challenging. But ultimately, I think um, what, like, you know, what is it? You make lemons out of lemonade. What that taught me was how to go into a room and be prepared, like, I guess, over prepared. And and I would have this kind of saying of like, I'm going to take them out at the knees that I would answer the questions I knew they wanted to ask before they could ask them. Mm. Um, and the other was, um, in our story, actually, we had a fund turn us down Shasta ventures. They're now our largest, uh, lead investor and have led multiple rounds, um, (laughs) turned us down, said, sounds interesting. Really, you know, great thought leadership. We'll see what happens. Um, thank you so much. Um, Mark Zuckerberg got on stage in 2017 and said, we're building the biggest AR platform in the world. Shasta called me back and they said, Hey, we'd like you to come up and, um, you know, we're doing this kind of pre-seed these small checks. So I went in and I presented and I, one of the things I did well was I actually took camera IQ and I put it in a framework, um, so that the partners could understand what the company would become. Um, So I was like, Hey, how does camera IQ become Marketo? Um, I wasn't saying we are Marketo. This wasn't a, we're the Uber of, but I just tried to compare the playbooks that Marketo, um, that Twilio Salesforce used and how we could use those same playbooks in a new category. Um, And ultimately they, called me. They said, we're going to write a $250,000 check. I said, that sounds great. I went up for a founder. We hadn't closed. I went up for this founder's day. It was a very Silicon Valley moment in (laughs) um, the baseball stadium. Uh, I don't know what the team is up there. Clearly, I like sports. (laughs) Um,
0: Perhaps the Giants. Sorry. sorry. (laughs)
1: Sorry. And I was like, this is, I literally was like, this is so weird. Like, we are like, just bizarre. Um, And one of the partners actually came up to me. I had presented to them that day and said, hey, Alison, we really love what you're doing. How big of a check do you want? So it was ended up being quite a fairy tale experience um, after many, 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 many months of many, many, many nos, um including from that firm. So, you know, hard. Long process, but ultimately, kind of perseverance.
0: Yeah, and that's I mean, we kind of talked before the interview about this. The perseverance of entrepreneurs, you hear about this over and over again, and that's an example uh, of it right there. One thing I don't I want, I want to gloss over is for founders, that are entrepreneurs, you know, kind of raising capital for the first time. And how did you get those first? meetings those first introductions those first uh yeah a few of my i guess yeah intros to vcs because the beginning is like okay well what do i start i'm just curious on how you started and how you went about that to even get those those meetings over many months
1: great question so um in my prior career as a creative technologist i had actually joined um an incubator space in new york city out of the new museum called new inc nice um and In that process, they brought in a number of entrepreneurs, um, as well as VCs. So I, in that program, um, became friendly with, um, a VC by the name of Andy Weissman at Union Square Ventures, um, who was willing to sit and talk to me about, you know, how to build a business as, as much as the weird art projects I was, um, working on um as well as a, an entrepreneur by the name of Michael Moskowitz and so um the two of them really were integral in just helping me you know one introduction here one introduction there and 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 really from there was able to build my network so it was about having one or two people who were willing to make an introduction um and then you know getting that person even though they said no on my team you know like my first seed check came from an angel and that introduction came from a VC firm here in LA who said, no, <laughs> you know? So it's wow. like, I, I think it was just willing to, I just sat down with anyone who would talk to me about my company.
0: How was it raising funding while you're trying to build this, that that dichotomy of, it's, it, there's two things with that. You're like building a company, but you're raising so you can build the company, but you there's like these, this, this. Struggle between that. I'm curious on how was it for you, Allison?
1: I mean, I think that's why I would recommend if you can bootstrap and you can get something into market, um, just to be able to to demonstrate that you're driving revenue, but also that you have revenue coming in to continue building the thing that you want. Uh, obviously, it was really scary because you know I had a few engineers i think two um that were executing on work for companies like the nba and coachella um but uh what that did was it gave us a, a enough runway um quote unquote runway like literally month to month um, hey
0: whatever works <laughs>
1: whatever works right to like just keep going um and then gave, also gave me the confidence to go in, in front of investors and say, Hey, I'm already getting world-class brands to sign up.
0: Yeah. Huge. That's huge validation for that. Yeah. On that note as well, then how are you getting these world-class brands to sign up and how did you kind of approach the customer acquisition, uh, early on? And we can talk about the evolution of that, but I'm definitely curious about that. Cause that's always a, you know, okay, get, you have this idea for a company, but it's not real until you have paying customers. How did you do that?
1: Uh, another great, great question. So um, twofold. One, you know, where we were fortunate was because my background was in AR and I had already been working with brands as an agency in that capacity, I had a network built and I had already established myself as um, a thought leader and expert in the space. And, and, you know, as an agency had been executing for um brands like Spotify and Neiman Marcus and refinery 29 and um you know some other big big companies like that so had um, a resume that that helped open some doors. Um, the other thing that that we did um and we were, pretty choosy about the programs that we participated in. Um, but we would do vertical specific kind of, I'm going to say quote unquote incubators where they're not necessarily taking, actually they're not taking equity. Um, but RGA did a, a kind of incubator that took us to cans for a week and half of what they did was just introduce us to brands. Um, we did the New York Fashion Tech Lab. So we, we got um, very close with some um you know, fashion um and beauty brands through that. Um and and through those programs, because they were would be vertical specific, it would help us understand, does our product work for this vertical? How does this vertical buy? What are the problems that they're facing? Um, as well as actually making those brand introductions. So um at times those programs can be people <laughs> and you're like, oh my gosh, is this worth it? But in retrospect Um, what was worth it is, you know, we did a lot of pilots, we got to talk to a lot of executives, um, got a lot of feedback on how are we pitching, how are we pricing, um, that I think ultimately really helped us scale, go to market when we were ready.
0: On that note, how did you kind of decide on which ones you would end up doing? Because to your point, I mean, it is like this huge thing of time of like, okay, this is potentially a big investment. Is this worth it? How did you view which ones you wanted to go through?
1: So <laughs> part of it, you know, part of it is who's coming to you, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: that helps. <laughs> um,
1: and for us early on, that was media and entertainment and music. And, you know, it when you look at the history of AR broadly, but I think especially on social, um, the places that it was stickiest first was in media and entertainment and in music, Um, So those were really the verticals we focused on first and, and saw a huge opportunity to kind of land and expand, right? So if you got one property within Warner Media, that would lead to an MSA, which would then allow us to scale more quickly through that type of organization. And and music was very much the same way. You know, we we signed Atlantic Records, which allowed us to then go to Republic, um, and you know, Interscope, and so on and so forth. And and now I think we have the majority of major record labels. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and 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 now we're doing the same in um, the beauty space. It's a a new vertical for us. Um, But we also did the same in in sports. So, you know, we did work with the MLS and a number of those teams. And we worked with a couple of NBA teams. And, um, funnily, one of the reasons we don't work with sports teams is because they wouldn't buy the way that they, we wanted, they were seasonal, right? They didn't want to yeah. buy an annual license. And so while the use case was so obvious and the performance was really strong, um, the revenue was not the quality of revenue that we wanted, meaning that they didn't want to sign an annual license. Um, and so we had to walk away from that, at least for now, as a vertical that, that we felt we could build a business against.
0: Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, I'm sure you could obviously offer different things with that, but it's, uh, that goes back to kind of a point of understanding what you want the business to be and how you want to run it. that's the... the- joy of, of entrepreneurship in many ways is you decide right and you decide who you kind of work with and everything with that one thing that's sticking in my head that I can't get over is uh, you mentioned hiring those, those first couple engineers and everything as non-technical co-founders hiring technical people how was that experience for you Allison
1: painful <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I thought you might say that <laughs> Really painful. care to elaborate on that.
1: Yeah, and, I feel, I, and truthfully painful for me and, and um, to our early engineering teams credit, painful for them as well. Um, <laughs> you know, again, I was always technical enough to understand and appreciate the work that they were doing, but not technical enough to direct the architecture. Um, and I think drive the level of accountability that I would want to be able to drive. So, um, and I think, and give them the leadership that an an engineering team deserves. So I say that kind of like painful, but I think on both sides, right? Like it just is hard when you speak different languages. Um, (laughs) no pun intended there. So, um, I, you know, my advice there is like, look, I, um, I am fortunate that my husband is also an entrepreneur, um, and has built a number of software companies. And so he connected me with the first engineer from his first software company. Um, and Paul was, he's just kick ass. And so, um, having, you know, one core, um, engineering leader that I could really depend on, um, made a huge difference. And so it was building that rapport and trust with Paul, um, to, to drive things forward. But, but even with that, it was, it was hard. Um, and you know, I, it it was about slowly bringing people in, um, and this really goes with anyone across the team, as you always hear, they're like, hire fast, hire slow, fire fast. Yeah. Um, and I really, truly, it's like the fire fast, it's feels scary. It feels, um, <laughs> you know, but if it's not working, it's better for both parties to move on.
0: I think that last point is something I've, I've thought about with, with other people interview as well. I mean, it's if it's not working for both parties? I mean, obviously you understand it's much easier potentially when you think about it in that way of mm-hmm. like, okay, if it's not the right fit for your team, that means you're kind of doing them a disservice as well. So it's not just about yours. It's like, well, in theory, it's also with them too. And uh, not necessarily easy, like you said, but uh, something important to understand.
1: Yeah. That's a I mean, huge part of the business. We said, you know, prior to, to starting recording, we were talking about, you know, as far as we know, we have one life. Like it's important to if you're lucky enough to love the things that you do and I think with your team members as well is people are going to do their best work if they're excited about what they're working on, if they want to come to work every day. And if it's not working for you, the likelihood is that it's not working for the team or for that individual either. Um, And I just, I tend to, at least what I've learned in my experience is like ultimately it's the best um, for both parties.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and that's something that's, again, not easy, but definitely important to understand. And as you've grown camera IQ over the years, it's been more than four years at this point. How has the business evolved in terms of the business model itself? Has that stayed the same, Uh, the same type of structure? I'm just curious how that's evolved because a lot of times with these companies, uh, the version one Mm -hmm. uh, initial kind of version looks much different than what it is today. I'm curious on how that's kind of evolved from business model perspective.
1: From a business model perspective actually we've stayed pretty consistent um where we have changed uh i, I can't say it's massive like significantly but what has changed is when we started the company the ability to publish to social meaning um ar uh open to can to consumers and um brands to publish into the social channels was not available and so we actually had developed an SDK um, that brands were integrating into their existing mobile applications. Um, and what we actually were doing quite a significant amount of ARR annual recurring revenue Yep. Um, with that product. But what we found was that we felt it was actually a little early in the market um, for us to truly be able to scale that. Um, and, with applications, what we were finding is that every customer wanted something custom. Um, And as a software (laughs) company, that becomes really challenging to scale. Um, And so as social opened, what we saw an opportunity to do was to, um, you know, shelf the SDK, um, made the hard decision of trying to convert those SDK customers to what would be our new product. Um, in that case, it meant firing a number of customers who did not want our new product um, <laughs> and, and refocusing on something we knew long-term would scale for the company and essentially taking our revenue back to zero um, and, and starting it over. So the business model yes. of the software company has stayed the same, but in that product shift, Um, and decision to not only stop development on a product, but ultimately to say, we don't want to support it because we knew it would pull away from the development, um, and support of our new product, um, is, is probably the most significant change that we made. And we made that change in, uh, late 2018 and released the new product in 2019,
0: on the note of of product and thinking about more the product itself with Camera IQ, how do you look at the different features you're adding? Uh, getting feedback from customers, uh, all these different things that go into the product selection and then developing products. I'm just curious on product in general. How are you kind of thinking through, thinking through the product and developing new products uh, for Camera IQ?
1: Um, so I mean, we're a customer first company. Um, you know, I think one of our, um guiding principles as a company is, um, we win when our customers win, or the less positive way to say it would be, um, we're only as successful as our most unsuccessful customer. Um, That doesn't mean that every customer is the right fit, but where you are finding product market fit, listening to those customers is so, so important. Um, So that I think is is absolutely a guiding principle for how we think about product development. We do balance that with the fact that we're in, because we're creating a category, because we are the experts in this technology, also building for what we know our customers will need because they they aren't always going to know what to ask us for. So we we try to balance between, hey, there's this feature request and we know what is what are the behaviors we're seeing on our platform against... Um, Hey, as this ecosystem matures and there becomes more opportunity and more consumer adoption, what needs to go into place to make our customers successful? So it's always that kind of fine line um, of building for where the market is and what customers are requesting um, with knowing where the market is going and what our customers will need to be successful then.
0: You had mentioned earlier in the interview about, you know, Facebook mentioned this whole AR kind of uh, shift as well. And how are you, how closely are you you working with different platforms, uh, hearing about their updates and their changes and how that maybe affects camera IQ? What is that relationship
1: like? I would say the, I mean, what's great is we have a very good relationship with our platform partners. um, And we work very closely with those teams. I think early on, one of the challenges with what we were doing was we were pushing for scale and for always on, um, and the platforms weren't necessarily ready for that. Um, So if anything, we were a little ahead of where Facebook and Snapchat wanted to be on day one. Um, But what is exciting is that that has shifted quite significantly, that as their platforms have matured um, and they've learned as companies That demand for scale, that demand for always on um, is has now come to fruition and and we're positioned very well and working very closely with them on how do we unlock that um, for their brands um, or, you know, for their advertisers um, more specifically.
0: One thing I'm wondering about, as you're talking about all these different things you're, you're doing with Camera IQ, I mean, what are kind of the different use cases? How people are are best using your product? Com- brands are using what you, what you're doing because uh, there, I mean, there's so much creativity that people can do with it. I'm just curious on what you're seeing on how brands are using kind of your your products.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I think that's one of the coolest things about this medium is really any vertical can use it, and there's pretty endless use cases, but. And specifically, you know, if we look at beauty, um, beauty is a really interesting category because uh, product try-on um, has always been an obvious use case. But in the yeah. time of COVID, um, overnight, AR has become a mission-critical technology for that vertical. Um, you know, there may not ever be a day that we go back into stores and are sharing makeup to try on again, right? And so, how do you then try on makeup? before you buy. Um, and AR is, is that mission critical technology that allows them to do that. Um, what is interesting specifically though, um, and what I mean by always on is like, it's not just beauty brands saying, Hey, try on this lipstick and buy it. Right. It's actually brands like Mac cosmetics publishing to their Instagram account or to their Snapchat account, various looks, um, by their makeup artists that, you know, As consumers, we're using the camera to express ourselves every day, right? Every time you create a story, you have to open your camera. And so how does a brand participate in that? Well, Mac can participate in it by giving you a great makeup look to use while you express yourself, right? And now now the most valuable place for a a beauty brand isn't just your vanity shelf, but the camera carousel. Um, Or... You know, how do they become part of a cultural conversation? Well, it's pride. So how do we do looks that celebrate pride um, and help me as a consumer express myself? Um, you know, so there's, there's. I always think about it as like kind of four categories. It's, and it, this is that always on, right? It's like, how does a brand, um, yes, there's the vertical specific, which might be, hey, I want to try on a, a beauty look. Um, or in music, I, an artist is releasing a single, right. Or an album, um, or trying on merch, uh, then there's kind of the cultural conversation what's happening around us. So we are seeing more of our customers start to do AR experiences about wearing a mask is caring or how important it is to register to vote. And those just become tools that I can use a consumer to express my alignment with that message and share it with my friends um, to seasonal, right? It's becoming fall. So how do we just make experiences that are expressive of what's happening around us? Right. Um, and, and then I think the last is what we're seeing is also just a lot around brand awareness. So how do we start to invite consumers to play with your brand? And so an example of that, that I thought was quite brilliant from Bumble is, have you seen the randomizers, um, have you seen the ones that are like, "What Disney character are you?"
0: Yes, so that, <laughs> absolutely. Um,
1: <laughs> on our platform. You could build that in like two seconds, um, and so Bumble did one where it was a list of questions that actually start conversations, and mm. so it became a way, a tool, because um, Bumble's all about initiating conversation, and so they use that as just a way to amplify their brand and give people on social a way to start conversation. Um, So that's what I mean when I say always on is how do you actually build this into all of your marketing beats um, beyond just, uh, you know, I have a product launch for instance. Right,
0: and and with it too. I mean, where do you see AR going with what you're doing? With I mean, what's what's going to be possible? What, how brains use it? Uh, just looking towards you, you know, the future of what this is going to be, just based on your experience and having worked in this for so long.
1: Great question. Um, so I think what's important, and actually something that Snapchat really was the king at doing, is the technology is always going to evolve best when it's in line with a consumer behavior. Um, That's why early days of AR, what worked really well? Well, selfies were, obviously selfies are so popular, but selfies (laughs) were so popular, right? So cute dog ears um, worked really well. Open your mouth and a, you know, tongue came out. (laughs) Um, And what we're seeing is that we're moving past just, hey, make me look good. Um, to help me express something, help me be part of a conversation. Um, so there is this, still that social piece um, that is that is, I think, taken root. Consumer behavior has become extraordinarily sticky, especially in the time of COVID. Um, but what is also accelerated and is represents a massive opportunity for any uh, brand, really, um, that's selling a, a, a physical product is um e-commerce and ar so if we're not going into stores the way that we were um whether that's to shop or just to even window shop how do you experience products and and have them in your home or understand the scale or try them on um ar is is the most effective way um to drive that experience and drive that conversion and so what we've seen is a pretty massive acceleration um, into what what we would call AR commerce, um, you know, in the last six months, and so I think well that represents a, a huge opportunity in you know the next eighteen to twenty four months to <laughs> we'll see that scale, and then beyond that, not to get too heady, is I think as the map um, and five G really come online, I think we'll start to see persistence um, become important, and what I mean by persistence is the ability to actually anchor a piece of digital content in the real world and have it be persistent as if it were almost like a statue there, right? That you and I could both go to that corner at different times a day, different times of year <laughs> and experience that as if it were a physical object that were there.
0: Oh, that's interesting to see what the applications <laughs> could be with that as well. Looking forward. Yeah. And and with with Camera IQ, so this has been around, you know, more than four years. You've raised a few million dollars in, in venture capital. Uh, a lot of things that point towards Camera IQ one being successful now and being successful in the future as well. But but why do you think it has been successful so far, Allison?
1: So, uh, you know, so much of it's funny. We talked um, Justin earlier about um, perseverance as entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, I think that the second thing that I don't always feel entrepreneurs talk about enough um, is timing. And so, you know, there's this balance that happens um, and I believe is like as an entrepreneur and business owner um, you have to persevere um, to have the opportunity to be around when the timing is right. Um, And I I wouldn't, you know, I would say, you know, f- being around for four years, we were early. We were, right? The yeah. Social <laughs> wasn't open. I met my in laws and they had no idea. They had never heard of AR. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, like now they're like, oh my gosh, when we met you, we thought you were insane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but. What I now believe um, and is validated, you know, we've doubled our revenue in the last six months. Um, is that timing plays, you know, and we already are on quite a growth trajectory going into COVID. But again, for us, it's been a positive compounding factor. Um, is timings play such a huge role, and and you know, we're living our le- our lives through the lens of the camera. Um, the camera is the most ubiquitous piece of hardware in the world to me 45 billion cameras in the world by 2022 Jeez. um yeah a little scary um but indeed rep- <laughs> seriously um but represents like such a massive opportunity and and consumer behavior was shifting quite drastically but but again because of the times we find ourselves in um has only accelerated and so that's part of for us is um there's a real demand for for our, the technology and the experience from consumers, um, and you know, lucky that we were—we've been able to hang in there for four years and and have a great platform to be able to provide businesses with now.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of just wisdom in what you mentioned, and I think to kind of echo that point of persevering and the timing of things being around, just have you know having enough bats to be able to try enough things to have one work out. No one, I don't know where I read, probably on Twitter, reading something about it, but like people don't really think about your losses; they don't know of the losses, your failures, whatever it may be. It just takes like one success in theory or whatever to actually to make it. And you're good. Like, how do you get to that point? Is just having enough at bats and continuing Mm -hmm. on and you know Mm -hmm. everyone's going to have some failures in some respect but if you can give yourself enough at bats no one necessarily cares that you swung someone will miss 50 times in this particular world like you have the success and there you go it's great but you have to at least give yourself that chance which is what you've done and you've stuck around and i think that's the perseverance part of like yeah find a way to pivot, to do whatever, to keep things going. And that's not to say that uh, some companies need to definitely need to fold and quit. Cause it's just not the time They're way too early, yep. but something to be said for that.
1: But, but to your point of like pivot, get creative is like, you know, there's been moments candidly at camera IQ when like we were worried about funding and yeah. we didn't make hires or we did layoffs and we got small and we had to refocus. And like, that's just, Again, back to how do you give yourself as many chances to to get up to bat is the name of the game, and you're totally right. Is like no one cares how many times you fail. <laughs> All we hear about is the success, and most of the time you yeah. actually look at those success stories. Is like those companies have been around for rarely. It's they've been around for two years and they exploded. Like <laughs> they've been around for a second. <laughs> You know, 20 years, the entrepreneur has done multiple companies, has probably swam around in that space for even longer than the company that they're running has been around.
0: Right, absolutely. They've tinkered with something, they've done something in the industry. They've, yeah, there's always mo- way more to it uh, than meets the eye, especially with even with these companies that take off, like, oh my God, that's sold in a year. Okay, well, what really happened? It's rare, very rare. That's literally just a brand new industry, brand new company with no prior experience, and it actually takes off in that you know quick amount of time. That's so rare. Sure. Um, and and, this- and
1: when it does, I would say, I would guess, total guess here, seventy five percent of the time, it's an experienced entrepreneur that has a network and platform to leverage
0: yeah exactly and that's that's a whole nother discussion of, of, of building your network for that type of thing and they always kind of mention to uh like you know be networking and kind of uh talking to investors before you need investment and it's like that old adage of yeah if you want if you want money ask for advice <laughs> if you want advice ask for money it's just like it always kind of be thinking about that if you're building a company so if anyone whether it be you know building a company now or even as you're uh thinking about starting something it's like yeah starting to build a relationships and offering value to then have that when you need it as well as something to kind of be aware of. Um, one of the things I always like to ask about is, is books. I'm a big reader. So are there any particular books, whether it be business or personal that just have been impactful uh, in your life, Allison?
1: Oh, I love books. I read a lot of sci-fi.
0: <laughs> mm,
1: so nice. um, I would say I would three bucks. Um, in terms of you are looking for, Probably my favorite sci-fi book, mostly because it, I think, just is for me. It was so influential of like, what does the future look like? Um, Rainbow's End. Uh, It's a book that I always have multiple copies in. Well, when we had an office in our office, and (laughs) (laughs) get rolled out, Um, and so that's always just a fun read. Um, Also, I think it's good to escape sometimes. So, yeah, a big fan of sci-fi. In terms of business books. Okay. So one, I would say maybe a little bit more on the self-help side, but I've ultimately applied a lot of it in business is, um, Elizabeth Gilbert's book, big magic. Um, it talks about your relationship with creativity and your relationships with ideas. And I think as entrepreneurs, um, we don't always, uh, talk about, you know, being an entrepreneur is by like, in my opinion, Is creativity, right? And it's a muscle and ideas, um, you know, actually live outside of us. How many times has someone, you know, had the same idea as you, right? Um, (laughs) And so for me, that's actually a book I've gone back to almost every year. Um, If you listen to it on Audible, Elizabeth Gilbert narrates, and um, I think it's like three or four hours. Uh, I have just found um, she has a fantastic. Uh, analogy about fear and recognizing fear will always be on the journey with you. And it's really about saying to fear, hey, you're sitting in the backseat on this road trip. You're not driving, you're not controlling the radio, but accepting that fear is going to come on the road trip. <laughs> and so that I would say has been <laughs> probably my most favorite kind of self helpy business, non-business book. Um, and then my other one, um, newer book that came out, um, and lucky enough to have this individual as a angel investor is um, Scott Belsky's book, Messy Middle, or mm. The Messy Middle, I should say, and um, that is one that just on any day when you're on the roller coaster as a entrepreneur, you can open up a page and just be like, ah, "I'm not alone," <laughs> um, and. uh. It really, back to, you know, I guess the theme of my podcast is perseverance, is like back to that perseverance is, um, it just so beautifully talks about that messy middle, the painful bits, how do you celebrate the small wins, um, you know, and how do you navigate through that day-to-day junk um, that I don't think gets told um, in our hero uh, entrepreneurial stories.
0: On that note, how are you kind of recharging, stepping away, taking time uh, away from the business? Uh, I'm always curious about that because it is, you know, can be all consuming. And for anyone who hasn't started a business or been running a business, like, I mean, I to say it's like 25, eight, it's not even 24, seven. It's just all the time. There's so much to it. How do you step away and recharge?
1: A um, couple of ways. I think I'm a big walker. So i try to just walk you know three plus miles a day I just find and on those walks sometimes I talk to people sometimes I don't talk to people but often it'll just be picking up the phone and calling a girlfriend or calling my mom and just getting outside of myself and asking someone else about their day um, is just helpful to clear my head and again like sometimes it's surface like just talking shit with my girlfriends. <laughs> love it. Love it. <laughs> uh the other is um, you know, staying active um during COVID, my husband we were both pl- tennis players, but during COVID we got into um pickleball. And so we try to play pickleball a couple days a week. And that's just a fun competition competitive thing that we like to do with one another. Um and then honestly, um I'm a i am need alone time to charge and uh, I love sleep, so. <laughs> I don't have kids yet. It's uh, important. i change, but I, I do. I think sleep um, and just alone time, taking care of yourself, is um, huge. Look, if I were extroverted, I might say I'm going out to parties pre-COVID. Um, Pre-COVID. <laughs> <laughs> you know i I find that, um, you know when you are on all day and you're trying to inspire your team and you're trying to sell your first customers and you're trying to fundraise, like it's effing exhausting. Yeah. Um, So just giving myself time to cook a nice dinner, do Shabbat on Fridays, go to bed early, um, not go out to out with friends, you know, give myself permission to just veg on the weekends um, has been really important. You know, remembering it's a marathon
0: <laughs> yes and it, it can be so difficult to remember that to have those reminders one thing you mentioned with the walking i mean i found this morning walk and you just go to literally going to get coffee it's like a mile round trip is like one of the best parts of the day to just clear my head mm-hmm. whether it be an audible book uh from you know just on headphones or whether it just be no music no nothing like just something about walking is magical for helping like just manage manage stress manage everything you're kind of doing um and one of the books uh daily rituals is the book Mm -hmm. uh, how artists work and uh, i think i actually lent it out to a friend uh who if you're listening i would love that back at some point (laughs) um (laughs) and it's like how artists work and it's just talking about different routines and everyone like a, a big kind of Thread through that is walking. I mean, so many people go through walks, especially creatives. And you mentioned entrepreneurs are creators, and so I yeah. think that's a huge part of. Um, people should do more of, especially when you're kind of getting in your head, being with your team all the time, being on the computer all the time. Just go for a walk. Yeah, it's amazing how it's helpful uh, for me at least, and it seems to be helpful for you as well.
1: Yeah, I walking, and I think one other thing you know you mentioned is you know podcasts, or I I like you listen to a lot of Audible. Um, and the reason I don't have a whole list of business books is, this is another way that I unplug is like, at some point I would just say to entrepreneurs, like you guys are living this day in and day out. Like it's okay to not want to listen. No offense, yeah. Justin, to a business book about how to be more efficient. It's like, at some point you have to shut it off because you already are living this day in and day out. And I don't think it's productive to be beat yourself over the head you're like how do I become more efficient like at some point you know your max it's not
0: yeah right it's not gonna be all the time there's gotta be times off for sure and whether it be like you know now it's NBA playoffs and other there's always oh, just, just other things to do
1: the U.S. Open right now
0: yes U.S. <laughs> Open there's so many things you can watch and do and like for me even like like board games with a couple of friends like yeah. oh, settlers of Catan I'm just obsessed with that game yeah. uh something where you like just don't think about the work, the business, whatever, at all is is, is helpful uh, in some capacity. But it, always I've kind of mentioned and echoed on this show is the reason I like to kind of showcase and ask these questions, especially some around the recharging, is to showcase that everyone has a different thing. Like everyone mm-hmm. has a different way they unplug. Everyone has something that for them. it's And it's all about finding like whatever it is for you specifically because there is no right answer in quote. It's just like whatever works for you.
1: Yeah. And I think giving yourself permission to truly have it be whatever it works unapologetically is in my experience and, you know, building anything as you pour your heart and soul into it. And so you have to have the space to to recharge and, and fill yourself back up.
0: Absolutely. And we've we've talked about a number of different topics today, Allison, but is there anything else you would want to tell other entrepreneurs, other aspiring entrepreneurs, just anything else from your journey with Camera IQ uh, over the last number of years? I'm just curious if there's anything else you want to share.
1: I would just, I guess I would close with that it's the building something that you are deeply passionate about and believe in is the most fulfilling experience. Um, and to remember to enjoy that journey, um, and know that it's a privilege, how few people are in a position to pursue, um, their dream and their passion and their vision, um, and worry less about what is my outcome? What is this going to mean? Um, what do people think <laughs> about me? And just remember that it, it really, truly is such a privilege to get to wake up and, and build the thing that, that you believe in.
0: Allison, where can people go to learn more about Camera IQ and connect with you as well?
1: You can head to our website, CameraIQ.com. Uh, and to connect with me, um, you can hit me up on Twitter, um, Allison E. Wood on Twitter. Um, and... Yeah, I think those are probably the best places.
0: Great. I will link up everything discussed in the show notes at justgogrind.com slash podcast. Allison, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Justin. Really enjoyed the conversation.
0: This episode is brought to you by Hawk Media, a full-service outsourced CMO based in Santa Monica, California, providing guidance, planning, and execution to grow brands of all sizes, industries, and business models. Hawk Media is recognized by Inc. as one of the fastest-growing marketing consultancies, and their collaborative process, a la carte offering, and month-to-month fee structure gave clients the flexibility they need to boost digital revenues and marketing ROI. Hawk Media, the company, has serviced over 1,500 brands of all sizes, ranging from startups like Tomorrow Melon, SIO Beauty, and Bottle Keeper to household names like Red Bull, Verizon Wireless, and Alibaba. And also, I had the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, Eric Huberman, on the podcast in episode number 23, if you want to take a listen. And to get a free consultation, head on over to hawkmedia.com and be sure to mention Just Go Grind. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen.